KBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thank you all for being here for another edition of Political Rewind, the Wednesday edition of the show, if you're listening to us in real time. We're really happy that we have with us today the Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan. Jeff Duncan, uh, you, and by the way, I should also say, joining the conversation. I was going to introduce Greg. Greg Go ahead. Why don't you introduce him? We've got with us today uh, one of the AJC's finest, political reporter. Yeah, political reporter. and. and uh, just a just a, a great author of the truth. Often, <laughs> thanks the for f- the intro. <laughs> it is Wednesday, Bluestein's day to be with us, and we're glad you're it's here my, too. My new Twitter bio: author of the truth. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant that, Governor, that's what you told me to say, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so let me let me do this. You've just come through your first session of the Georgia General Assembly. Uh, why don't I give you a chance, just for a couple minutes, to tell us what? What did you think? What, what did you accomplish this session you're proud of? What was it like to uh, preside over the state Senate? A rowdy bunch. Just you get the first shot at at giving us your impressions of the first session. Yeah. So gr- gr- great to be here. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, it was really exciting. You know, you beg for a job for two years and you really don't know what the job description looks like or, 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 or actually is until you get there. And uh, yeah, I, I identified three spots to the job. One was the policy, and that's really what drew me into wanting to run for lieutenant governor, is having a, a big part of the policy discussion and direction every day. The second is building relationships with the senators and, and understanding their districts and understanding their, 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 their needs. The last was being the presiding officer, and that was probably the one I was least looking forward to kind of being in charge of that process in the Senate. But uh, looking back, that was probably the most enjoyable part. It was a really good opportunity for me to put forward, I think, a leadership style that has, has been a benefit or been, been an asset for me in the private sector was really trying to to be process-oriented, right? So it was very deliberate in how we went about our business. It was a very good opportunity for us to let folks on both sides of all the issues really kind of express themselves and I felt like we did a really good job this session doing that. Uh, I had somebody on the way in the door say, look, if you're successful uh, at the end of this, then folks will think you you are a really good umpire, that you called balls and strikes. And, and I had to call some strikes on folks in my own party and folks that were issues that I'm, 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 I'm supportive of um, and, and, and also folks on the other sides of those issues. And I think we did a pretty good job of doing that. Greg and I uh, certainly know uh, from years of covering the Georgia General Assembly that in the Senate particularly – uh, leaders in the Senate, uh, elected senators, uh, don't necessarily much care about what the lieutenant governor as a leader has to say about various issues. Rebellions are not infrequent. Casey Cagle uh, faced one. Uh, other lieutenant governors have as well. And I don't know that you faced a rebellion early on, but I think in the very first days as the session was coming together, uh, the, 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 the Republicans in the Senate passed a, a couple of rules that you had to then intervene in how to how to deal with sexual harassment, uh, 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 complaints 
Um, they were initially the, the um, members of the Republican uh, Party in the in the Senate initially seemed to come up with rules that favored the senators, protected them, not the women who might come forward with complaints. And I think you at, least, at the very beginning of that, you weren't included in their process on that and had to step in, didn't you? Yeah. So, I'll, you know, as far as a rebellion, I don't know if that's the right word I would use. But even before I got sworn in, there was a there was a pretty active movement to change the role of lieutenant mm-hmm. governor. And we fought hard for that. Uh, to protect what uh, really was has, had become a standard that that uh, Lieutenant Governor Cagle had in the way he operated around uh, the Senate, you know, I look at the, at that opportunity. We walked in after getting sworn in and just walked right into something that we had no control over. Uh, essentially, the sexual harassment policies had been changed in a way that I don't feel like reflected what any sort of business you know setting would would have would have kind of pulled together. And so I took it as, as a great opportunity for us to put on display. And that's what we did. We worked hard. I immediately called on uh, the minority leader and the majority leader and said, we're going to get this right, and uh, worked with them and, and, and both sides of the aisle to ultimately, I think, have a plan that, that uh, now yeah, is, yeah, is, is, is matches and mirrors what I believe yeah. not only the Senate expects, but folks working in and around businesses in corporate America would expect a sexual harassment policy to look like. Fractious can be an understatement when describing the, the Senate, and, and especially the Republican caucus, and it's not just you know this year, but it's been past years, and when Democrats were in charge, it was for them, too. You said you've had to call some some tough uh, balls and strikes, call on the, your own party as well. Talk about your approach to that and, and maybe some of the toughest decisions you had to make. Yeah. So for me, it's about uh, being consistent and predictable as a leader. I think one of the best things you can do is folks understand they're not surprised by your actions. Uh, and so we spent a lot of time preparing for our day. Uh, we had uh, Regina Quick, who was general counsel for me, and Mike Dudgeon on the policy side, and Chip and, and the other team. We spent Chip a lot, Lake, a Chip, former panelist on this show. Former panelist and uh, current chief of staff. Uh, we spent a lot of time preparing for our day. And so that was in that we wanted to make sure we understood the legislation coming forward. We understood the committees. We had somebody from our staff in virtually every single committee meeting. And some of those balls and strikes that we had to call were, were germaneness you know, questions. Uh, there were folks that maybe policies that we supported that were then added on to a bill that I didn't believe matched the, the initial intent of that legislation. And, and so it was important for us to be consistent. I think we saw the fruits of that play out late in session because we didn't see a lot on day 39 and 40, a lot of amendments flying in from outer space because I think folks realized what our position was going to be if it wasn't germane. There are some, speaking of day 40, there are some pretty tough um, vetoes uh, of, of legislation that the Senate overwhelmingly approved, including the, the mandatory recess measure, the school safety measure. There, there were priorities of some senators. Um, when you saw those vetoes, the list of 14 vetoes come out late Friday, were you upset? And, and do you have any plans to try to push that legislation through next year? Yeah, de- definitely not upset. I mean, what, you know, the governor, uh, obviously, with his... With his uh, uh, analysis of each of those vetoes, him and his team spent a lot of time uh, really reviewing those pieces of legislation. And really the overall f- sentiment I had coming out of that is this governor really supports uh, smaller government local control. And I think you saw that as an overwhelming theme in a lot of these vetoes. If if it looked like it was some sort of uh, unfunded mandate or some sort of overreach into the locals, uh, it seemed like he, he, he stood up. Also, there was some, I think he in some of these, he felt like he had better ideas. Uh, one was around uh, looking at some of these tax credits and things things of that nature. I think it was interesting in his veto statement, he, he put in a plan of attack to, I believe, go even further than probably what that alleg- legis- uh, uh, legislation initially had. So I just want to be clear, because uh, we have to get to a break in a minute, uh, the, the school safety measure and the recess measure, which he vetoed, you at this point do not see those coming back in maybe a modified form, perhaps with some 
input from the governor uh, in the second uh, session of the biennial coming up in January? Well, I, I can tell you this governor will never stop talking about school safety, nor will I. Uh, we understand the issue. That's why I think we saw this year $69 million put in the budget, $30,000 per school to harden the infrastructure around there. We are committed to school safety and will continue to be. So, yes, I do continue to see a conversation going uh, around this. I just think the, the, the veto that was taken the way I interpreted it was that it was pushing out to the locals and mandating them to take a certain okay. direction. Um, I got to get to a break. Uh, we are in uh, the, just a short pledge drive right now, and we appreciate all of you who have already supported uh, GPB. And, and I want to, as I, as I throw it over to Bert Wesley Huffman, who's going to tell you more about how you can support us, I want to just say one quick thing about Political Rewind. Uh, we told you a couple weeks ago that we were thrilled to learn that in a study of 202 NPR stations around the country, it turned out that the Political Rewind podcast is among the top 20 most listened to podcasts in the country and the only political news show that has achieved that rating. And that's because of all of you out there who listen to us uh, as regularly as you do. So what we ask is if you listen, support us as well. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, our uh, special guest today on Political Rewind. Greg Bluestein, of course, is here with me. It's a Wednesday. He's here with us on Wednesdays. So, uh, Governor Duncan, let's cut right to the chase. Uh, HB 481 is probably the single most controversial measure that has come out of the Georgia General Assembly, probably since Roy Barnes passed the change of the flag back in 2001. And you were now beginning to see uh, a slow momentum that seems to be building among movie industry and television industry people who are increasingly saying they're concerned about being uh, involved in productions here in Georgia. Governor Kemp has said, I'm not going to let Hollywood tell me my moral values ought to be. How how do you now respond to the uh, growing criticism that you're getting from that side of the equation? Yeah, so I, I think if we go back to the early, just early part of this segment, we talked about the process. I'm a process-oriented person. And I think the process we went through in the House to discuss House Bill 41 was one that I'm proud of. Uh, we had folks on each side of the issue that, that really walked through a very intense debate, both in the committee process. Uh, Chairman Unterman had a tremendously uh, involved committee process and got input from all sides. We brought it to the floor. And it was, it was five and a half hours of intense debate that was respectful debate, and I'm proud of that effort. As the presiding officer in that room, I felt like we did, we did the work that the people wanted us to. At the end of the day, we had more votes to get that bill passed than not, and so it became uh, a bill that went to the governor's desk. Uh, with regards to Hollywood, look, Georgia was an extremely business-friendly place to, to operate in before that bill passed. It continues to be an extremely great place to call home for your business. I think we'll continue to see us go forward and grow as an economy. I think industries will continue to flock here. It's a great place to raise your family. It's a great place to run your business. Uh, don't want to see anybody go in the film industry, any other industry, but it's one that uh, we're going to continue to plug ahead and do the, do the work. Of, the of course, Greg, Governor Kemp, the news in the last 24 hours has been the Governor Kemp has canceled the annual visit by Georgia elected officials, by the governor mm-hmm. to, to Los Angeles to thank the uh, industry for its uh, 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 involvement in shooting projects here in Georgia. They've now canceled it. They realize it's a bad time to do this. Yeah, the studio executives I've talked to say that says the impact really is immeasurable because there, there might not be any high-profile projects that we know of that are pulling out, but they say it can only be measured in calls they don't get. 
and and they're they they are very worried about about the future of the film industry, which you know ironically is a more more left leaning uh, uh, industry in Georgia. And so if there's a boycott by Hollywood celebrities and and and, and studio executives, it really hurts you know a, a base of, of Democratic voters here in Georgia mostly. What is your take on how the Hollywood industry, how the movie industry, can survive this? Look once again, I, I respect their opinion. Uh, but at the end of the day, we had a majority vote in the House and the Senate and a governor that signed the bill. Uh, we all faced the voters, and uh, we are proud to be able to go in there and work hard for this movement, also the way we did it. But but looking forward to, to the movie industry specifically, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's good for us to cater to any s- particular single industry. Uh, I think it's it's to take their input, it's to take their feedback, and 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 continue to move forward. But once again, this continues to be a business friendly state. Those folks are here because we've created economic incentives to be here. Uh, you know, I, I haven't taken the time to independently research this, but I've heard of four four of the the most uh, vocal folks early on uh, movie studios or or, or potential uh, groups that talked about not wanting to be here. Three of them had never even filmed a movie here. You know, I, I think that's an irrelevant argument at this point. Um, it's one that we're going to continue to work hard for 11 million Georgians. So, so I suspect that there are people who are listening to the show or watching us on Facebook Live who are saying, wait, you're talking about the movie industry. That's all well and good. But this is a law that takes away the rights that women have, uh, some of our listeners will say, uh, to control, have control over their own bodies. And um, you are going to get that pushback uh, significantly as as this moves forward. And I'm wondering how you respond to that. Certainly, there are many women, and you had them at the bill signing, who support this new law. Uh, but you also have uh, those who are very angry uh, that they feel they're losing control of their own bodies. Yeah. So one of those women at that bill signing was was one that's very important to me, and it's my wife. Mm-hmm. And Brooke and I have gotten to the point where we're at, where we're supportive of this legislation and extremely pro-life uh, as, as a couple. You know, we, we've grown up together and we have three examples of of, of pro-life in, in our world. It's it's our three kids. And we've we together as a couple have come to that conclusion. Uh, and and I'm, I'm glad to hear you mention that there is two sides of this. You talk about this 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 group of people that are not supportive of this effort, but I, I continue to receive a number of, of folks that, that go way out of their way, women, to reach out to me and be very supportive of this uh, as we move forward. Um, Let's say you're on a business recruiting trip um, and you, you meet a, an executive who says, I cannot bring jobs to, to a state that has a, such a restrictive abortion law. What do you tell them? What, what is your answer to that? Continue to champion the things we're doing in healthcare. We just passed 22 healthcare bills this year, as, as as opposed to one the year before. This governor and this lieutenant governor are concerned about continuing to be a beacon of hope for healthcare around the country. We continue to fully fund K through 12 education. Gave every teacher a pay raise for three thousand dollars. I want Georgia to be the technology capital of the East Coast. I think we have an opportunity to create an ecosystem that'll last a generation. Those are the things I'll continue to champion. All right, go ahead, Greg. One last question before oh, the break. And lastly, um, the taxpayer burden of, of of having to defend this law when it inevitably gets gets challenged in court. Um, Democrats are also making the argument that this is going to cost taxpayers millions of dollars for 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 a, for a legislation that will inevitably be at least initially blocked by by a federal judge. What do you what is your answer to that? Look, I, I think that's assumptive. Um, I think it's uh, something that we're going to continue to pass good good policy. I looked at the merits of this, and I think a number, a majority of folks in the General Assembly did, and it's good policy. 
So uh, we're not going to get any hesitation or doubt on your part on this one at all. You you talked about the fact that you had a healthy debate in the Senate, and you certainly did. Um, but in some ways, it, it, that doesn't quite speak to your saying that you, from the beginning, believed that this measure absolutely should have happened. Right? You do. I'm not, I'm not certain I understand your question. That it's not just about the healthy debate. You, as lieutenant governor, completely supported this measure oh, from the start. Yeah, a- okay. absolutely. That's, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. I made yeah. that sound kind of but, but, but also, to, to that point, there were uh, the bill was, was changed, right? We went through a committee process. Uh, Renee Unterman, as the chair of that committee on science and technology, really worked with po- a lot of public input on both sides of the issue okay. and proud of those efforts. All right. We're going to watch certainly how this thing moves yeah. forward in the weeks and months, if not years ahead. we got to get to another pledge break. Bert Wesley Huffman is standing by. And when he's finished, we'll be back with more with Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. We're back on Political Rewind. Greg Bluestein of the AJC is here with me as we talk to Lieutenant uh, Governor uh, uh, Jeff Duncan. And yes, to those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, this is a day in which we're talking to the Republican Lieutenant Governor of the state and giving him an opportunity to express his feelings uh, about a number of issues that are of importance to us in the same way that we have had Democrats as sole guests on this show in the past, people like Buddy Darden and others so Hold your fire, Facebook people. This show tries to give everyone a chance to express their opinions. Um, Governor Duncan, uh, Jim Beck, the insurance commissioner, now charged with 38 felony counts uh, by the feds here in uh, Northern District of Georgia, is in an arraignment. It should be underway right now. Uh, We're waiting. He's in a press release yesterday. His representative said he intends to continue in his office, not step down. He's going to fight these charges. Should he be stepping down immediately? So I took the time yesterday when I saw the news break uh, to dig in, and I actually read the 14-page indictment in detail. I wanted to just get myself up to speed. Uh, it looks like a uh, you know, former colleague of mine, B.J. Pack, federal prosecutor, uh, I know B.J. to be an extremely diligent, hardworking individual that leaves no stone unturned. Uh, and, and in reading the indictment uh, it, uh, and, and watching his press conference, it looks like he, he did a very, very thorough job. 38 indictments. This is serious stuff. When I read through this, I mean, I was I was taken back by the what, what is being alleged at the level of sophistication and just the fraudulent uh, ongoing effort for multi years. Uh, it, this is serious stuff. Um, and uh, we're going to continue to watch this process play out uh, on the way in. I just saw a quick uh, statement that, uh, Greg, I think you actually put out mm-hmm. there in in, in uh from the governor and it looks like you know he's going to try he's in the process of gathering all the facts and understanding uh, where we stand and what it looks like what the law calls on upon the the different remedies we'll continue to let the governor play that out as quickly as we can but i want to make sure people understand where i stand on this issue we there is no place for corruption i don't care if you're a republican a democrat independent or don't know what you are there is no place in public office to be corrupt and uh, if 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 he's corrupt, if this proves to be true, um, then the full weight and fury of the law needs to come out. Uh, if anybody else is involved in this, then they need to be exposed and they need to pay the price for this. There is no room for corruption, and uh, I do not stand for that. Should he step aside? Should he 
suspend be be suspended while this process plays out, or or resign so that someone else could come in and and, and serve out the duties of the of the commissioner of, of of insurance. I don't have that specific role, right? I don't I don't get to make that decision as lieutenant governor. I'm going to let the governor continue to track through what it looks like he's quickly doing it. Uh, look, these are 38 serious indictments, and I've got to imagine that there's a lot of uh, a lot of hard fought uh, thinking going into this, and and a lot of understanding of what the legal remedies are around it. Uh, if if these are uh, these allegations are very very serious. You know, it's unfortunate, I suppose, that the Georgia Christian Coalition gets caught up a little in the crossfire here. Jim Beck has been a a symbol in many ways and a leader of the Christian Coalition here. Uh, how what do you say to people out there who may be skeptical and say, see? You know, Christian Coalition tries to act as if they are holier than thou, to put it in uh, one uh, uh, frame of reference. Uh, And this is an example that uh, they're not. There's hypocrisy there. Yeah, so I actually had to Google Georgia Christian Coalition. I'd never heard of the group before. Uh, I certainly never been endorsed or or anything like that uh, from from that organization. I I didn't know what what they're consistent, uh, what what they consisted of. But uh, look, my my faith is a big part of my day. Uh, I mm-hmm. was taught early on that, uh, you know, we're, we're supposed to share our faith, and every once in a while we might have to use words to do it, and that's something I take to work with me every single day. You said it's not your role, it's not your power to, to suspend him. Of course, that's Governor Kemp's role. But we have we have seen other Republicans, including Scott Johnson, who's running for Republican chair, Buzz Brockway, a former state lawmaker, come out and say that he should he should step down. And so I'm not asking you. I'm kind of asking you as 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 a leader of the party rather than, uh, you know, as, as someone who has the, the, the power over that that decision. Do you think do you think that someone like this should step aside for, for the time being while he's facing these charges. I see you working, Greg. I see you working. Look, I, I, out of respect for the governor, I'm going to continue to let him do what he's doing quickly with his team, understanding the legalities of this, the process involved. It's a very confusing. Uh, as I started to try to, to walk through this, and, and y'all, we, we, we've talked about this off air, it's a very complicated process of understanding what the removal yeah, process is. Yeah, one of my questions was, we uh, Ed Lindsay on the show yesterday, and, and a former uh, state representative, an attorney uh, who knows the statutory law, he, he suggests there's a 14-day period that uh, someone who is a t- constitutional officer has to make a decision on his or her own on this. So I'm not quite sure whether that is actually written into the statutes, Greg. So therefore, uh, he could step down right now, but we don't know whether the governor is uh, hesitating on this because of some requirement in the law to give the office holder an opportunity. So so my approach to this, and, and it looks like in reading, Greg, your quick comments that I read on the way in from the governor is that this isn't about getting it done quickly. This is about getting it done right and making sure we get this process right. Uh, Look, I hate it that we're even talking about anybody in public office, regardless of what party they're from, uh, being being mentioned in the same sentence as as fraud and corruption. I want to go back to to 481. Uh, We know, we understand where you stand on that, but I want to talk about the politics of it, if I could, for a minute. You you certainly know that uh, suburban uh, districts, the 6th District, the 7th District, legislative districts within those congressional districts are increasingly turning blue. Um, we saw the results of that in Lucy McBath's victory in the sixth and legislative uh, victories by Democrats in, in uh, that northern arc. How is 481 going to uh, hurt the efforts of Republicans to win back particularly those suburban women who have decided that the Republican Party doesn't reflect their thinking, at least temporarily, and now with 481, even more so? So I live in the 
7th. Uh, yeah. I, I live right in the heart of the 7th and just barely north of, of the 6th. I grew up in the 6th. I went, you know, I, that, that's where we, we, we do life. And, uh, you know, I, I think we, we, we speak in like binary numbers around this issue. It's like either all women are for it or all women are against it. I don't think that's the case. I think there's a, there's a very healthy split. And I also think there's there's a great deal of respect about, hopefully, what I'm sensing, a great deal of respect of how we have these complicated conversations around big, difficult issues, right? There is no perfect answer for all of this. And I think the debate that we've, that we've had here in Georgia has been one that it, I believe has been very respectful. We've probably caught some folks off guard with how respectful those issues are. I think this is also one of these issues, if we want to specifically talk about abortion, where science and technology is working on our, in, in our favor on the pro-life side of this issue. I think as time continues to move on, as technology and sciences continue to develop, uh, I think it continues to work uh, in our favor. So, so I do have to say that I, I think there are doctors and opponents of this bill who would suggest that this notion that science is moving in the direction of the fetus being actually a, a, a human life form of that. There are people who take issue with that, as you certainly know and saw play out in in the debate. But more, more, and we're going to have to get to it. Can you stay for one last segment? You Absolutely. got the time? Absolutely. Well, let's do this. Let's. I want to ask you that question in a different context in a second, but I also want to hear about uh, the Patients First Act uh, from your perspective. Uh, Greg Bluestein and I will do that with you uh, when we come back. And Governor Jeff Duncan, we just have a couple of minutes left, uh, but I wanted to ask you, uh, you're very proud that you were able to pass uh, the Patients First Act, Brian Kemp's initiative, which will expand insurance in, in several different possible avenues uh, in Georgia. One of them is that we believe that when when the study comes back from the, from the folks who have been uh, commissioned to put together a waiver's uh, uh, prop, uh, proposal that there will be at least limited expansion of Medicaid in Georgia. Do you believe that that waiver should take in as many uh, people who are underserved by uh, any kind of health care as possible in this state, or do you think it should be quite limited? So uh, you, you mentioned, the, uh, I believe, the secret sauce to the waiver plan that we're going to be pulling together here, and I think is ultimately going to put us in the spotlight nationally from other states, I think they're going to point back to the Georgia plan because the 1332 portion, so you mentioned the 1115, which is the Medicaid definition, right. but the 1332 portion of it is what allows us to try to get those people insured, right? That gap that you're talking about, it tries to look for different models with private insurance to be able to help them. Uh, it allows us to be able to, to once again, allow employers to participate directly with the employee and also then to have a government subsidy come in behind that. Uh, it also opens up things like direct primary care. Uh, we talk about needing physicians in rural Georgia. With direct primary care, we think we can get primary care physicians. We think we can get uh, OBGYNs and pediatricians to, to be in those areas. Uh, we also see things like high-risk pools, right, that, that ultimately all these large self-insured health plans that have they figured it out. They've realized, if, hey, if we can minimize how bad bad is on a claim, we can lower everybody's premiums, which makes that gap that we talk about. So, I, you know, Look, at the end of the day, Medicaid's bad insurance, right? I don't think anybody would disagree with that. It's bad insurance in, as a whole. People would much rather be on some sort of private plan. And so I think this 1332 portion is going to allow us to kind of figure out how to get more of those people insured. Don't you worry that high-risk pools uh, in, in some ways are contradiction for the notion of pre -exist, covering pre-existing conditions? When you have high-risk pools, aren't you marginalizing uh, people who have particularly uh, desperate medical needs. No, actually, the, these are these are um, blind 
um, high risk pools. So there's there, there's no there's there's no difference in services between anybody. It's blind, right? It's just any claim over a certain amount is dropped into a pool blindly, and that allows the insurers to be able to to put a put a cap on risk. This weekend, hundreds of Republican activists will gather in Savannah to chart out the Republican Party of Georgia's future. Watch out, Savannah. Yeah. Cash <laughs> and, and you say hundreds. Last time, last few years, I remember thousands. Thousands, okay. right. Okay. More than a thousand, so it's hard to say. But a lot, of, a lot of Republican activists from all corners of Georgia will come to Savannah, chart out the party's future, map out 2020 strategy, and, and select a new leader. And you did something interesting a couple of days ago when you... And usually Republican figures kind of stay out of the race uh, after Nathan Deal waded into the race in 2011 and had his pan-picked candidate rejected by by the activist. Well, you waded into the race and, and you supported Scott Johnson. Um, Why did you make that decision? Well, one, I want to thank the, the hard work of John Watson. He got uh, it was it was part of the process of, of getting us elected, Governor Kemp and I, uh, and a number of other folks. Uh, and so I appreciate his hard work and in there. Um, look, I. I I don't know if you caught this memo, Greg, but but I was kind of an outsider. Uh, I was not the next guy in line to win to to, to win this lieutenant governor's race. But uh, look, I didn't get into politics to, to make a bunch of friends. I, I got into it to do the right thing. I care about this party. I go to work every day and want Republican majorities to be in the room to be able to help us continue to push our conservative agenda. Uh, I look at a guy like Scott Johnson, and I see a guy that is just a true creature of the grassroots, who has grown up, that understands what the grassroots look like. He's an outsider. Uh, he's not a politico. He's never held political office before. But this guy has worked hard, and I'm proud to see him. You know, and he's a uniter. And obviously, I mean, the the, the, the big grill in the room is that, that his opponent is the guy that I ran against for lieutenant governor. That would be David Schaefer. That, that, that would be David Schaefer. And, you know, David has been extremely gifted uh, in a number of roles over the over the last 30 years in, in Republican politics. In, in my opinion, he's he's been a divider, right? And he's been good at it. And it's been strong. It's been part of his job description. I see Scott as a uniter. I see Scott able to reach across some, some new boundary lines and to be able to continue to grow the party. And so I would look at the Jeff Duncan who campaigned and begged for this position for two and a half years uh, would have endorsed Scott Johnson and uh, Jeff Duncan, who, who is now the lieutenant governor. I have an opinion, and my opinion is I think Scott Johnson would be a great leader. How does that party, we, we were talking a little bit about on the edges about this when it came to the heartbeat bill, but how does the party overall do better in the suburbs? Because 2020 really is going to be uh, boiled down to, a, in large part, how the suburbs uh, uh, fare for Republicans. I think we continue to talk about something that 11 million Georgians care about, and it's three things, in my opinion. It's health care, and what do we continue to do around health care? Everybody's life's affected. Our work's not done. We, we passed 22 bills. There's more work to be done. Price transparency, telehealth, some other things that we can do around health care. I think the suburbs care a lot about that. Education. The greatest gift we give a child is a quality K-12 education. The suburbs care about that. I think also economic development and understanding what the next generation is going to want and need to be prepared for, for economic development. Those are big issues, and I think the suburbs care a lot about them. Um, all right. You know, you've now heard from uh, Jeff Duncan, uh, among other things, uh, one of the roadmaps for uh, 2020. It is worth noting, as you talked about the chairman's race, uh, uh, Greg, that uh, you've got a candidate from Gwinnett County and a candidate from Cobb County, those two uh, areas of that northern arc where Republicans are going to be fierce in trying to win back the votes that they lost in 2018. And I suppose that is certainly on the minds of some of the folks who will be gathering in Savannah uh, this weekend, yes? Yeah, no, absolutely. Continue to put forward. And you know what? I, I think we walk into this uh, 
convention really proud about the work we did in the General Assembly and the, and, and the big ideas we got across the finish line. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're walking into, a, into a, a good weekend. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, we are out of time uh, for our show today. We really appreciate your coming in. Congratulations on uh, finishing up your first session of the legislature. We'll, I survived. Why, yeah, you did apparently survive. Uh, we'll watch with interest as the next session gets underway. It's only uh, eight months away, <laughs> Greg. Jeez, don't remind me. <laughs> Uh, so that is it for our show today. Thanks for being with us. Uh, you know, you can always listen to us on our podcast and continue to build our uh, ratings as one of the top podcasts in politics in the country today. I'm Bill Nygut. We're back on Friday when Jen Jordan and Eric Tannenblatt will be here. That ought to be a fascinating show. So join us at 2 o'clock on Friday. Until then, have a great afternoon.